Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image, and the dot, dot, dot there is in his image, his likeness to have dominion. He means, be like me, do like me. Get to know me, you're a living being, and then you're a living doing. Be like me, do like me. Be in my image and my likeness to have dominion. Then the Lord God planted the garden in the Eden in the east, and he placed the man that he had made. So here, here we got so far. We've got God created Adam in his image to look like him, to be like him, to act like him, gave him the responsibility, gave him the authority, gave him an identity, and then put him in a specific place to leverage that. My question is this. Do we view our places as that strategic? Or is it just the place we go? Like when we go to these places, do we say, you know, God put me there. This is not by accident that I moved to Austin, Texas five years ago. I know for a fact he moved me here. I also know for a fact he's moved me to different places since I've been here. And odds are he may move me to different places even within this city. Things that I don't even know about yet. Things that I, if I knew about right now, I would run from because it feels too uncomfortable. And he might say, yeah, that's for another time and another place, but we're getting there. And by the time I bring you to that place, you'll be ready for that place. And that place will be ready for you. See, watch this. This is, this is an interesting thing. When it says that God made man in his own image and in his likeness, let me describe what the word image means in the Hebrew. I can't talk Hebrew. I didn't take that in college. I decided to opt out of Hebrew class and opt out of Greek class and just get really proficient on using the Internet. I thought it was an easier way to click and read. I click and read. I don't have to pronounce. All right, so ultimately this word is something along the lines of Salem. The word image is something along the lines of Salem, and it means to resemble or as it actually can be a noun. It means an idol in the place of. Okay, so watch this. It means that God's going, you're my idol. <coughs> Not that I worship you, but that you look like me. You're a little representation of me. Likeness means to cast a shadow of. He goes, you cast a shadow that looks like God. You're a God's shadow. When you stand and look at me and I shine on you, my shadow is what you leave behind you. Your footprint looks a lot like me when you're doing this right. Love looks like me. You forgive like me. You lead like me. You apologize like me. You're humble like me. You're innovative like me. You're creative like me. You're just like me. You're not me. Watch this. You're not me, but you're like me. You're not God, but I want you to get to know me as God and be like me and do like me. Now, culturally, right, the people that were reading this culturally also knew this was a natural practice, meaning this. If a king like Belteshazzar or Nebuchadnezzar, these big powerful kings in the Old Testament, when they would overtake a nation, they could not physically move their kingdom to the new nation because they still had their king back here in the old nation. So they would set up in the new nations that they conquered idols that represented their kingdom, that represented their power and their authority. And when King Nebuchadnezzar put up a giant idol and told 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bow down to that Salem. He meant bow down to the thing that represents my authority. And they said, no, we can't because we're God's Salem. Are you with me? So culturally, that's why idolatry was such a crazy hot topic in the Old Testament. Because God's going, no, you're my idols. Don't bow down to somebody else's. You're, you're going against the very nature of why I've created you when you bow down to someone else's idol and try to mirror them. You're to mirror me. You're my Salem. You're my idol. Now, what does that mean? That means that when I go to the places that God's put me, I'm supposed to represent his glory, his power, and his authority in those places. To the best of my ability with God's power in me, I'm supposed to make that place look like a God place. How do I know that? Because Jesus said this. In the, Old, in the New Testament, when he was about to be done with his deal, his place, he told his boys, his disciples, he said this. All authority has been given to me to basically send you out as my Salem's. You are now my authority. You have my power within you. You'll be able to heal. You'll be able to cast out demons. You'll be able to, to, to raise the, the, the sick. You'll be able to do what I do because I'm sending you. You're like me. And I'm, I'm the one giving you the power and the authority and the commission to do it. Guess what? We fall under that same commissioning. I got a friend that's uh, becoming a deacon at his church on Sunday. And he's been, we and I have been talking about it. He goes, well, I saw him this morning. He goes, it's going to be official. Sunday I'm going to be deaconized. And I thought, I get it. I get it. And I'm glad you're going to be a deacon. And I'm glad they're praying over you. And I'm sure it's going to be great. And I'm, and I'm actually super proud of him for taking this stuff of faith. But what if every man felt like a deacon? What if every man got prayed over by their church to go to their places, not just the deacons and the elders? What if we commissioned the everyday businessman to get in your place because your place is just as important as this place? Now I'm, now I'm jacking up. See what I mean? This is, this is how this conversation about being placed changes things. It says that God placed the man in the garden that he had made. So what do we do when we get in that place? First, first step I contend is that once we get into that place, we work hard to bring God glory. That the very way to bring God glory is to work hard in that place. So my son's home from college Sunday, uh, Saturday night, Friday night. And we're trying to get him a job. Right? Well, he's you know, 18, he doesn't have a whole lot of references, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. So what do we do? We leverage someone else's name. Call them a reference. You, you've probably been to one. I've, I've written so many references for kids, and I'd be like, you know, I'd hand it to him and think, I hope you live up to what I wrote about you. Right? My name's at the bottom of this. I hope you live up to what I wrote about you. So my friend Daryl that I went to see last weekend in Denver is, is good friends with the general manager at the UT Golf Club. And I mentioned to Daryl last weekend, I said, would Bailey like to work at the UT club this summer? He was like, done deal. I said, well, how can you say that? He says, I'm, I'm close friends with the manager. I'll just give him a reference. And email Steve at this email address and, and just tell him you want to work there and it, it'll be done. Okay. So we got on. I got Bailey a little resume together. I brought a template. I said, you got to fill in this. You got to come up with your own language. And we're going to send this resume on to Mr. Steve and tell him that Daryl sent us. I'm sorry, Daryl sent you, because I'm not going to work there, right? 
and he fired that thing off to Steve, and Steve sent something back, and he said, Steve said this word, any friend of Daryl's is a friend of mine. Where do you want to work? Well, then the panic set in for me. And I told Bailey, I just pulled him aside. I said, listen, just, just to be clear, Daryl's not your friend. He's mine. <laughs> so you're leveraging my name and Daryl's name, so you better get there. And what do you think I told him? But get there and work hard. You see that? That's kind of what this is about. It's like, you're not just out on your own doing this. You're leveraging the name of the God that you claim to be under and created by. So you better get there and work hard. So you make his name look as great as it actually is. It doesn't cease to be great if I don't make it look great. But I can misrepresent it. That's ultimately kind of what sin is. It's misrepresenting how God made me to be. God takes a strong stance on sin because I'm supposed to be like him and do like him. And sin is going, I'm not being like you or doing like you. I'm being my own thing and doing my own thing. That's sin. That's why it's a problem. So one of the ways to bring God glory is to work hard. And I literally mean exactly what I mean there. Work hard. We were around the table the other night and mom had these little conversation starters and not that anybody in our family has problems with the conversation but she thought this was a cute idea I think she saw it on Pinterest, printed it out, cut them all that jazz. So one of the things was to the person to your right, say the thing that you're most grateful for them about and I was to my son's right I'm like, oh this ought to be interesting, I wonder what he's going to say about me. And this is what he said, he says, dad one of the things I most appreciate you, about you is you work hard and I thought That hits home. I'm glad you think that. Because I do. And I don't ever want you to think different. And I want you to learn that too. I want you to learn that. I want you to learn to work hard. Finish the job all the way to the end. When you're washing the car, wash the rims. Like down in there. Yeah. Work hard because it brings God glory. Matthew puts it this way in, in, in Matthew 5, 16. It says, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good works, so that they can see your hard work, <clears throat> so that they can see how God made you, how God gifted you, so they can see your leadership, your creativity, so they can see that and give glory to the Father in heaven. You're a conduit for God's glory. I'm a conduit for God's glory. I should work hard so that others would say, oh my gosh, that guy kills it. He's creative. He comes up with stuff. He's, he, he's, he's always after it. And so, yeah, yeah, I want to leverage every opportunity God's given me. When someone compliments your word, don't absorb it and get a big head. Conduit it. Pass it on and say, man, I'm so grateful to be in the opportunity to do this. It's a gift God gave me. I've, I've honed it. I've leveraged it. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad, I'm glad it served you well. But God gave it to me. Anybody see, and I'm not, I don't want to get too far off track, but anybody see uh, uh, Cooper Dossie interview? High school boy won state championship for Vandergriff, and he's just given all the glory to his teammates and to God the Father. I'm watching that going, whoa, whoa, that's what it looks like for a high school senior to be in this place. 
And he was not only in first place, but he was in a God place in that moment. And it's got a lot of views on Facebook right now. Right beside him was another boy named Tobin. And Tobin didn't have a chance to talk. But I've known Tobin for five and a half years. And the very first time I met Tobin, he says, I want to golf for God's glory. So one day when I'm a professional golfer and I believe that I will be, I will give God glory every time I win. And I think Tobin really means that. That's, that's a unique place. That's what it means to work hard so you can bring God glory. When people ask, here's the truth. Every place is a God place when God places you there. Every place becomes and is a God place when God places you there. See, I'm an old school preacher, so I'm allowed to talk about the church. We sometimes think that the church is the place where God lives. It's like God's house. It's not, not true. God's house is in his people. God's house is in his people. It's New Testament theology. God moves when his people moves. When I'm on the move, God's on the move. So where I go, so does God go. So I've got to be careful where I go. What I do. Because I'm taking God to those places, and those places become God places when God places me there. Got a friend named Norma Linda who runs a ministry to strip clubs in, here in Austin. You're like, can we do that? She can do that. You're not allowed to. <laughs> she can do that. And Norma Linda grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and was rough and had a lot of fighting and anger and self-esteem and, 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 and this is public knowledge and she goes, and I want the people that are, I want the women that are still stuck in that cycle to know that God loves them just like they are. In their lowest, God's crazy about them and loves them. She says, so we go and we pack up gifts and we present things that make them look and feel beautiful because that's how God sees them. And then they say, why are y'all here? And in that moment, she's able to give her creator the glory. I got a friend, Bill Thurston, who works at the corner of 4th and Congress, 6th and Congress, the Bank of America building, floor 25. Bill and Michael actually worked together. When I started Life Pastor a couple years ago, one of the things that God enabled me to do just uniquely was four friends said, we all run businesses. Will you come be a chaplain in our business? Come to our place and bring God to this place. So I'd go there every week. Study on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, four different places all day long. Lead a Bible study, volunteer at lunch, spend the rest of the day being in, inside of the place, going from place to place. Early on in that endeavor, Bill pinged me and says, I want you to come to our place. I really got to try to get you to become a life pastor at the company that I work at called Lion Street. He said, I want you to be a life pastor at Lion Street. I said, let's do it. So he introduced me to his boss. We met a couple times, and it didn't work out. Never took on. I don't know why. There's never any reason. It just didn't happen. And I think I know why. Because God didn't want to employ me as the life pastor at Lion Street. He wanted to raise up Bill Thurston to do pastoral work from his office where he was already placed. So God began to stir in Bill that, that his opportunity to minister and to mission was not just with guys at coffee shops on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, but it was all day long in his place and in car rides and in road trips with bosses and executives who maybe he was in place with for hours at a time 
in the same car. He's going, those were my places. And he goes, and I began to realize I needed to know more about this Bible to, in order to make the most of those places. So he signed up for a leadership development class, which was a systematic theology. For nine months, we went to class together every Wednesday night for three hours and studied hard to get to know this word. So then he went back to his place. He'd be equipped to be in that place. Does that make sense? He called me uh, in February, I think, January maybe, and he said, and he was just giddy. And I said, Bill, what is it? He goes, oh, my gosh, I just had my anniversary at work today. And he says, and my, my boss called us all together and complimented me in front of the whole team, not about my sales, not about my revenue, not about any of the things that you normally want to be complimented out in your team. He complimented me about the fact that I pastored at this office and had people in my office to love on them. It was the highest compliment Bill could receive. Right? You were there. And then made a donation to the camp that we go to in Utah, knowing that Bill would get more excitement about funding a mission than giving him a vacation or a check. I said, I'll take a little check. <laughs> you see, see, Bill became the life pastor at Lion Street. And we can do this. We can do this. We not only can do this, we're called to do this. When we work hard, we work hard for God's glory. The question is, where has God placed you, and are you fully displaying God's glory in those places? The, the odds are the answer is yes in some, but no in others. Well, I kind of do there, but not there. I do at home, but I don't at work. Or I do at work, but I'm kind of tired at home. Or I do a little there and a little there and a little there, but not really anything great anywhere. And part of the homework is to say, where are my top places and how am I doing leveraging God's glory and power in those places? Every place becomes a God place when God places you there. Chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up, made placed in the garden. Made all trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed two trees. Watch this. The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two different trees. Lots of other trees, by the way, but he's going, these two are different. One of them gives you eternal life. One of them gives you the knowledge of both good and evil. Now, we can't super get into this because most of next week's lesson is about this, but it, it, it's basically saying this. I created Adam to only know good. At the end of every day, he said, that's good. That's good. Day three, that's good. Day four, that's good. Day five, that's good. Day six, when man was created, that's very good. At that time, man only knew good. That's all he knew. Didn't know cancer. Didn't know rage. Didn't know anger. Didn't know bitterness. Didn't know his feelings hurt. Didn't know lust. Did not know anything but good. And I think, can we get back to that? And God says, actually, yes, we are getting back to that. Lord, hasten the day. As my old King James church used to say, Lord, hasten the day. Like, let's get to it. Because we were created to only know good. And he says, but if you eat that tree, you'll then know evil. Now, I'm a fixer. I'm a problem solver. Um, I'm an analytic thinker that looks at everything and says, this could be different if we did X, Y, and Z. And so when I grew up reading this passage, I thought, Lord, I don't want to disrespect your plan, but I got an idea. Like, if you had done this a little different, we wouldn't have known evil. Take the tree out. That was the temptation. 
Because if you hadn't put it there, they wouldn't have eaten it, and then we wouldn't have had all this stuff. Don't put it there in the first place, and we wouldn't have the problem. And it was really just a couple years ago that the Spirit finally worked on my heart enough to say, if there was not a tree that I said don't eat from, if there was not one rule, you would not have known that I was the ruler. I had to put one rule to establish myself as the ruler. I had to have some kind of boundary that says, trust me on this. I'm your creator. I'm your sustainer. Don't go there. And if you do go there, you'll experience something I never intended. There had to be some, watch this, there had to be some kind of choice in order for you and I to have a relationship. With no choice, there is no relationship. It's just mandatory. It's just what you do. My dog does not enjoy a relationship with God. He enjoys great gifts from God and a great life in our little home. But he doesn't enjoy a relationship with God because he doesn't have the opportunity to choose God. Remember we said this last week that mankind is the only creation who has the opportunity to choose God. Therefore, is the only creation that actually has a relationship with God. Now, let's hear, hear me clearly. God pre-chose us and said, listen, before you even ignore me, I choose you. I love you. I've got, I've got a plan in place. I even know that you're not always going to choose me. And I've already made a plan for that. But I want you to choose me. Because in choosing me, I get glory and you get satisfied. John Piper puts it this way. He says, when, when God is most glorified, I'm most satisfied. When God's glorified, I'm satisfied. It's a win-win. God gets his glory, and I get satisfaction of I'm pursuing and choosing the creator God. So he's, he's setting up this tone, and then next week we're going to talk about how it all went to hell in a handbasket, but even greater was a rescue on the other side of that. How the curse was enabled, but yet the promise of the Messiah came right on the heels of the curse. That's next week. So then that tree comes into play in that talk. Ultimately, here's the truth. If you don't rule over that, it's going to rule over you. Like there's some things in our life that we need to look at and go, I can't touch that. That's off limits for me. That's something that, that has always tried to rule me. And I either subdue it or it's going to subdue me. I either rule and reign over it, or it's going to rule and reign over me. <clears throat> and God's given me the power and the authority and the responsibility to say no to that because it, it wants to rule over me, and God doesn't want it to. Are you with me on that? I taught that in Utah, and my own dad wrote me a letter because he came to that retreat. He wrote me a letter and told me a thing in his life that he had allowed to rule over him. As a 70-year-old pastor. And he says, I'm so thankful that God used you. And I'm, boy, was I humbled. <laughs> that God used my son to preach the scriptures to remind me that I had an issue in my life that I had let rule me again. And at 70 years old as a pastor, it was time to take the authority back and say no to that tree. That's humbling. That's what the scriptures calling us to do. So, verse 15 there says, The Lord God placed Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. Here's kind of the meat of what do we do in the garden. We work it 
and we keep it. God says, I want you to work it, and I want you to keep it. We're going to unpack here for just a few minutes the difference between those two words and the similarities between those two words because they're very closely aligned. They're like two words to the same coin, two sides of the same coin. Work it means this. Abad means to labor, to cultivate, or to draw out, or to serve it. To work something means to work hard at serving it. So when God placed Adam in the garden, and here's the irony, he had already told Adam to be in charge of it. He told him to be in charge of it. He's supposed to rule it and reign it. To have dominion over it means to dominate the earth, to be in charge. And the way to be in charge was to serve it. So the first thing he tells Adam is, all right, we've got some work to do, and the very nature of your work will be hard, and it will be serving. And what are you going to serve? You're going to serve the thing that you're actually in charge of. So, so let's think about our places again. If you're in charge of a home, as the dad, as the Adam of that home, he's called us to serve the home that we're actually in charge of. Not for them to serve us. If you've got, you got a team that you manage, or a company that you own, you don't lord over them, you actually serve them. In that position, you use your position to serve those in that garden, not to lord over them. I had a lunch this week with a guy who goes, he says, man, I'm really trying to, to teach my family this idea about servant leadership. And all I could think, I didn't want to get into semantics with him, but all I could think about was what other kind of leadership is there? Why do we act like servant leadership is this unique brand of leadership? Servant leadership is leadership. If you're not serving the people that you're around, you're not a true leader. You're a tyrant. You're lording over them instead of allowing God to lord through you. You've got to serve the places that we're called. So that's the idea of working. And by the way, I'm kind of glad that God says, let's just get this straight right off the bat. It's going to feel like labor. It's going to be hard. You're going to be tired. By the way, this is before the fall, before the curse, before evil ever entered the story. Work is not the result of the curse. Work is God's, been called, God's plan all along. And he goes, and hard work has been my plan all along. Hard work has been God's plan all along. He says, get into your place and work hard. Do it for my glory. He says, secondly, don't just work it, but keep it. Keep it seems to be almost the emotional side of the work because it says this. It's the, it's the Hebrew word shamar, and it means to pay attention to, to nurture it, to take care of it, to cultivate it, or to draw it out. Almost seems like there's the physical and the emotional side of work. And you go, do them both. Pay attention to it. Don't just get in there and work hard and then bowl over everybody. Pay attention to them. Cultivate them. Draw them out. Make them better. I don't just lord my family. I, I get up underneath them and I try to support them. I get my fingers dirty in cultivating their hearts. I don't just look at them and say, grow up. Are you with me? Grow up. It's like a farmer looking at his crop going, grow. No, we get our fingers dirty and we cultivate the ground and we water it and we fertilize it. 
and we weed it. Why? Because we want it to grow. I'm a little passionate. I get it. It's where I'm at these days. It's where I'm at these days. And God's wearing me out with this going, Jay, you're great at working it. But I need you to keep it. Don't just get in there and, and blow through it at, 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 a, at an 11. That initial steam, I need you to weeks on in, keep it. Don't just start a family, keep the family. Don't just start life, pastor, keep working it. I'm like, don't just start a man up, keep going. Because week one, I'm always super jazzed. The attendance is always the highest. But week three, I'm going, I don't know if I ever want to do these again. Every time, every time. I'm not joking. Every time. And I know it. And God's going, just keep it. Just keep it. Keep it. Keep it. He said, well, I've already apologized. Keep apologizing. I've already shared my faith. Keep sharing your faith. I've been praying. Well, keep praying. I've already said that. Keep saying that. That's the keeping it side of it. It's not just the testosterone surge of working it, but it's that back end of, I ain't going anywhere, bro. It's looking at your wife and saying, we're going to keep this thing even if it kills me to keep it. You with me? Even if it kills me to keep it, I'm not going anywhere. And it may not be growing as fast as you want it to, but you're going to keep water. It may not produce the crop that somebody else's is, but it's mine, and I'm going to keep farming it. It's mine, and I'm going to keep farming it. Um, now the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what Adam would call them, and Adam chose a name for each one of them. He gave names to the livestock, to the birds, and to the wild animals. This is a, the irony is in day six, God brought the animals to Adam and says, you're going to work the ground, you're going to keep the ground, and you're going to name the animals, which basically means you're going to be in charge of all of this. The reason you're giving it a name is because you're going to own it. You're going to be the manager of it. You're going to be responsible for it. I've worked with thousands of high school kids in my 20 years. I've never named any of them. I've given some of them names they didn't like. And they in turn have given me nicknames that I didn't really care for. But I've never officially named any child that I've ever worked with other than two. And that's Bailey Lane Huffman and Ansley Kate Huffman. Why? Because they belong to me. And when I see a neighborhood kid doing something that I wouldn't want my kid doing, I don't have the authority or the permission or the responsibility to get up in their grill and tell them that. But you better be darn sure I've got that responsibility to do that with mine. If I see your kids speeding through the neighborhood, I'm probably not going to call you. But if I see mine speeding through the neighborhood at 60 and at 35, I'm going to call them out and say, hey, you do realize tickets are very expensive. And insurance goes up. And we have the whole conversation about speed limits. Why? Because they're mine. Ultimately, God says this. You need to know what's yours and own it. You need to own it. It's yours, bro. Don't pawn them off on the youth pastor. Don't pawn them off on the young life leader. 
Don't pawn them off on this. Don't pawn these people off on somebody else in your company. They're under your jurisdiction. They're under your org chart. Own it. It's your wife. Be responsible. Name it. I, I think it's important that we at some level like just actually get some names in our head and say, this is mine. This one's mine. This relationship's mine. This opportunity's mine. This department is mine. And not mine so I can lord it, but mine so the Lord can come through me to it. I'm taking the responsibility for it. So we work hard, not just for God's glory, but secondly, we work hard for our own good. We work hard for our own good, for our good. When I work hard, God going, I get glory. He says, but guess what? I'm glorified, but you end up satisfied. I'm glorified when you work hard, but I'm not just telling you to work hard because I'm an egomaniac and need more glory. I like it because I know what it's going to do in you. I've told my son this last year, and you can use this, and I don't know if it's good or not, but I can't get away from it. I tell him frequently, bro, you've got to do things that you're proud of. Do something today that you're proud of. Why? Because I think when God did the creation and he looked back at it and he said, that's good, it motivated to say, I want to do another day just like that. And that there's a positive snowball to doing something that you're proud of, work that, you're, that you go to bed exhausted from, that makes you want to get up and do it all over again. And there's a reverse effect that I didn't do anything worth crap today. And therefore, I don't really feel like doing anything tomorrow either. It, 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 sometimes I tell grown men that are in depression, you just got to get up and start doing some good. Now, you might need to see a doctor too and all the rest of that. I'm not knocking any of that. I'm saying part of the remedy for feeling fulfilled is to get up and work hard. Because it's for our good. Uh, Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote it this way in Ecclesiastes 5.19. He says, enjoy your work and accept your lot in life because it's a gift from God. Your lot in life is your place. He said, listen, stop having place envy. Stop wishing you were in their place or in another place. Or if I could only get to this place, then I would give God thanks for the gift. He said, the place that you're in right now is a gift. It is my gift. I contend this. Sometimes the, the scarcity of running a nonprofit ministry is God's gift to me. Does that make any sense? That, that if, if somehow there was a huge windfall, and, it, and James, my treasurer, he's like, we'll take a little windfall, just not a huge one, but a little one. But sometimes if there was maybe too much, there would be no necessity to depend on God. And sometimes I actually look at the bank account balance and go, we're dependent on you. We're doing what you're asked to do. We're going to keep being faithful. You've always provided. Every time we've dipped into that well to make a cake, there's always been enough oil to make another cake. And we're going to, damn it, keep making, I'm sorry, we're going to just keep making cakes as long as there's oil in that thing. And we're not going to quit. We're going to depend. We're not going to quit. We're going to depend. Work hard because it brings us a gift. Proverbs 12, 14 says this. Hard work brings rewards, doesn't it? Brings rewards. Tangible, intangible, spiritual, emotional, relational. The rewards come on the other side of hard work. You know how many couples I talk to that want the emotional and relational and sexual rewards without putting in the work to their relationship? It doesn't happen. 
It's work. It's hard work. My wife looked at me the other day. We were driving up 2222, and she goes, gosh, marriage is so difficult. I'm like, I think that's a backhanded slap. I'm not sure. I said, it is. And she goes, and parenting is on, it's a close second. Like, yeah, they're the t- I think the two hardest things in the world to do. I think they're the two hardest things in the world to do, keep a healthy marriage and parent your kids. The rest of it's just, I mean, just get after it. But those are hard, and they require a lot of work. And I contend on the other side of that are the rewards. Here's the truth. You should go to bed tired. <laughs> I was trying to come up with like a real clever truth there, and I just couldn't get away from that. Here's the truth. You should be tired at the end of every day. You should be tired at the end of the day. If you're not tired at the end of the day, emotionally, spiritually, physically, then maybe you've not left it all on the field that day. And I think going to bed tired is a good way to go to bed because it allows us to Sabbath and rest and say, God, if you don't fill me, I can't turn around and do that again tomorrow. Man, I need your filling. This was a booger today. This one kicked my tail today. But tomorrow might be even worse. Please fill me. Here we go. Let's get some rest. Reset and renew my body. Reset and renew my mind. Reset and renew my emotions, my scriptures. Let's just press the reset button. There's a reason why in the Jewish culture, I think that the day started at evening. So that the day would actually start with Sabbath. We start the day with Sabbath. Get all of our mind, emotions, and spirits right, and then we go work from a position of Sabbath. We rest first and then work second, and then start another day at rest, not vice versa. So we work hard, and we should go to bed tired. And then lastly, we work hard when the work gets hard. We just work hard when the work gets hard. And let me tell you, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The work gets hard. The work gets hard. With the exception of one of you, I've sat with each of you individually. All the rest of you in this room, I've sat with you individually. And you know how hard my work's been. I've been open and honest about it. And I know how hard your work's been because you've been open and honest about it. So let's just be honest. The work gets hard. Raising those kids gets hard. I think it gets harder. I, I the, the older my kids get, the, I thought it would just all of a sudden be easier. It's actually gotten increased, and I'm praying for those rewards. I'm going, gosh, we've got to be close to them, right? They've got to be just on the other side of another year of college. They've got to be coming. And you know what? There's, there's glimpses where I see God working, and I go, I'm going to claim that one as a reward right now. I'm not even going to wait till later to claim the big one. I'm going to claim that one as a small win, a small victory. We saw God move in a small way, and I'll take small right now. Now I'm going to latch onto that and give God glory for that and pray for more. And give God glory for that and pray for more. We work hard when the work gets hard. Paul put it this way in Galatians. He says, don't get tired of doing what's good because in due season you will reap if you don't quit. If you don't give up, you'll reap. Now, here's the truth. According to Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes we reap in this life, but we for sure will reap in eternity. 
that's a little harder to swallow because I want to see a little bit of rewards now. And, and Jesus did tell his disciples when they said, he said, follow me. And they said, well, what do we get out of it? He says, a thousand times, a hundred times blessing in this life and the life to come. So he says, you get both. You're blessed here and there. Blessings might look a little different than you thought. It may not be a financial windfall and it may not be an influx of new Facebook friends. But if you follow me, you're going to feel blessed and you're going to go to bed knowing you're blessed. And you're going to know even more that the rewards that you reap eternally are going to be a blessing that you could never even have here. And for that, you're going to keep going. I get the unique, strange opportunity to talk to kids sometimes that I had in youth group like 10, 15 years ago and kind of see where they ended up and go, wow, I, I would have never guessed and I had a small little part in that. Now, I'm not taking the credit, but boy, I didn't, I didn't think that's where we were headed. We just worked and got our fingers dirty and didn't think it was ever going to turn out to anything. And look at that. There's a whole crop. And the reality is anybody that knows me well can even look at my life and say, yeah, we got our fingers dirty with you and there's finally a crop. I've, I've been somebody's field. Somebody's been patient. My wife has patient, prayed, begged God to change my heart of hardness and approval and all that jazz that I needed to get out a couple years ago. She was just working that soil, just working that soil, waiting for God to bring the rains, just working the soil, and gets to see the fruit on the other side of that. Philippians 1.6, we're going to close with this. It says, I'm confident that God that started the good work within you will continue his work until it's finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Meaning, I'm confident that the same God that starts it will finish it. And by the way, he's going to be the one that finishes it. So you work it, you keep it, you stay with it, and he'll finish it. You work it, you keep working it, you own it, and he'll finish it. I met Bob in my boxers. He lived two doors down in, a, in Bryden Farms neighborhood in Knoxville, Tennessee. I knew all of my neighbors. We did fun stuff together. It was an unbelievable neighborhood. I lived in a cul-de-sac. And Bob moved two doors up, and his wife, Jolene, and, and a couple kids. And my kids started playing with them. They had a trampoline, so, man, all the kids were over there. And I was out checking my mail one day in my boxers, and just, just full permission to wear boxers outside. I think they're like shorts, so, I mean, I don't understand what the drama is. Just wear them. Be fine with it. I mean, we're in Austin, for crying out loud. So I was outside my boxers. And I saw Bob on his, on his uh, uh, riding lawnmower and thought I should, I should go meet the new neighbor. I, I did not feel the need to go change or to put clothes on. So I just went to go meet Bob, and there he was riding his mower thinking, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have moved here. This, this guy's crazy. Um, Bob was tattooed up, head to toe, Harley rider, rough Californian dude, did not fit in the Knoxville neighborhood where we were. Just, just seemed a little out of place. But I was glad to meet him, and we started talking we continued to have that conversation over the next few weeks. Finally understood there was some more to the backstory that he had taken a new job in Knoxville and just basically just had to uproot the family and go because his family and his company said, you got to do this. So he moved and he's living in a corporate rental at the corner of our cul-de-sac. And that always changed hands. They were always bringing somebody else into the city. So we had seen people come and go in that house already, and I just got to know Bob. And eventually I said, came the dreaded question Bob said to me. He says, Jay, what do you do for a living? 
And I hate that question because it's either going to go one of two ways, right? I'm going to say pastor and they're going to go crazy like, oh, that's so good. Or, oh, gosh, you know, it's one of the two usually. I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. He said, oh, cool. Just so you'll know, I'm not in any of that. <laughs> just, just right off the bat, let me know. That is not where we were going to go. Like, we can stand and talk in the boxers, but we're not. I said, oh, no worries. I get it. So I had a motorcycle at the time, and he did too. So we talked about bikes and riding and all that jazz. Just common play. This is, a, this is my place. This was my place, literally. Jolene, his wife, came up the street one day, and she says, Jay, I got some terrible news. <laughs> no, no, I got it out of order. I, said, I asked him one time, right at Christmas, I said, Bob, would you be willing to come to a Christmas Eve service? I know you kind of had two shots at inviting a non-church person to church, Christmas Eve and Easter. I said, would you be willing to come? I'm teaching uh, the Christmas Eve service at our church, and it's in our youth center. It's not even real churchy. Would you come? And he goes, I don't know. Let me check with Jolene, but I'm not really into that. I know, but would you ask her, and maybe she'll bring you. They came. So I'm teaching, and they're down there, and I'm thinking, all right, God, I finally got him to the place. Now, you just got to do your work and rescue his soul right here, right now. It's going to be beautiful. It didn't happen. See him back in the neighborhood? He goes, that was good. He goes, just so you know, that's not my thing. I'm like, I've got that. I got it. You keep saying that. Then Jolene came to me. She says, Jay, we just got some terrible news. The job fell through, and we've, we've got to move back to California. I thought, well, I honestly thought, I've wasted a lot of time building a relationship that's now going to be done. I said, well, when are you moving? She goes, next weekend. Okay. She says, would you be willing to talk to Bob one more time before he left? She was a Christ follower, but he was not. I said, I'll do my best. So I kind of lurked in the neighborhood all weekend, you know, looking for Bob. Oh, he's out there cutting the grass. I'm like, in my boxers. <laughs> and I go talk to Bob one last time. And I said, Bob, Jolene told me y'all are moving. I said, but I said, I can't get this question out of my head. I've never asked you. But I, I've got to ask you this. I just have to. I said, remember at that service I talked about finding peace with God through Jesus? He goes, yeah. I said, hey, Bob, have you ever done that? He said, no. I said, would you be willing to talk about that? He goes, ah, not, not really. I said, okay. Y'all are moving next weekend? He said, yeah. I said, would you be willing to read a book about that? He goes, as long as it's not the Bible. Okay. I got other books. I said, can I give you this book about finding life purpose? And it was called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. He says, maybe. He says, but I'll take it. And in that moving truck sat that book. Jolene emailed me a couple weeks after they moved. She says, we miss Knoxville, miss you guys. Hope y'all are doing well. I found a church out here. You'll never guess what church is in my community. I'm like, uh, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren? She goes, yeah, how'd you know? I said, that's the book that I gave your husband. That very same pastor is the book I gave her. She goes, that's awesome. A couple weeks later, she says, Jay, I want you to pray for Bob. He's picked up that book and he's reading. He's still not going to church, but he's reading that book. I said, that's awesome. A couple weeks later, she says, Jay, Bob came to church with us today. He didn't like it, but he came. <laughs> A couple weeks later, Bob came to church with us today and received Jesus at church tonight. That was on a Sunday. Two days later, Bob was killed on his Harley today. I'm so glad he received Jesus two days ago. Surreal. 
And in that moment, I was young. And God said, you do the work. You keep doing the work. I'm the finisher. I'm the finisher. When it doesn't look like it's going anywhere, you work it and keep it. I'm the finisher. I've got Bob's soul. And you'll see him again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. We look forward to you in the next couple of hours going back to the places to put this in place. To take this truth and to set it right in its place where it belongs and to begin to do that. May we, as we go home this weekend, maybe that's the hardest place for us to go. Maybe that's the place that's the most in turmoil right now. And we can check out of that place and do lots of other places. But God, we're going back to that place tonight. May you begin to do a work in those places that we call home. Help us to work it. Help us to keep it. And we're praying that you, as you say in your word, will finish what we've started. In Christ's name.